Well, it's just a couple days ago uh, that we gathered uh, and, and celebrated all over the world. And I know many of you were out of town in different parts of the country. And uh, Christmas Eve was just so wonderful, wasn't it? You know, it's that celebration of um, God incarnate uh, coming to earth. Uh, Mary and Joseph uh, traveling uh, from up north in the Galilee region to Bethlehem. That's where they went, right? <laughs> I'm still tired from uh, Christmas Eve, clearly. You know, and, and, and we sang songs and uh, there were shepherds and there were angels and, and wise men. And there was this sleep in heavenly peace. Ah, it was good, wasn't it? It was just so restful. It was so wonderful. It was just so life-giving. And the next part of the story of Jesus um, takes a pretty dramatic turn. It takes a very dramatic turn away from sleep in heavenly peace. And maybe I'll just uh, kind of set this up a little bit by asking you a, a question. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever been in a place where you just did not belong? Have you ever been in a place where you looked around and you just thought, oh boy, I don't belong here? Uh, 25 years ago, when Cindy and I uh, were uh, serving uh, as missionaries in Thailand, we first arrived in Bangkok. And if you've ever been to Bangkok, Thailand, um, you know pretty quickly that um, if you look like I look, um, you don't belong there. Um, it's, it's beastly hot, first of all, humid as all get out. Um, lots of smells of mostly sewage, um, but lots and lots of pollution, uh, automobile, motorcycle, all that good stuff. Um, street vendors cooking things that you probably wouldn't really want to eat, and it's just very interesting. And, but you hear lots and lots of noise, and, and clearly people are speaking another language. Um, but I remember when we first arrived in Thailand, uh, we got lost in Bangkok, and uh, we were walking around a park, and we had no idea which way to go, and this was before the day of cell phones and GPS and all that good stuff. So I literally had out a map trying to figure out, and we didn't speak a lick of Thai, zero at this point in time. And I remember some Thai person coming over to us in Bangkok and saying, hey, can I help you out? And, you know, they had broken uh, English, but they, were help, they helped us out and uh, got us on our way to where we needed to go. After we spent a little bit of time in Bangkok, uh, we traveled up north uh, to Chiang Mai, and we spent three months there uh, doing language training. And uh, when you're in Ch if you're ever in Chiang Mai, Thailand, uh, you will see a number of Westerners there. It's kind of a, a well-visited tourist destination. Uh, but more and more, uh, you recognize um, that you really don't belong there. And if you get lost in Chiang Mai, there is a very good um, uh, probability that nobody is going to speak English, even broken English in that area. And we knew that we did not belong in Chiang Mai. Well, after a couple months, uh, three months of some language training, uh, we traveled about 15 hours south of Bangkok near the Malaysia border uh, to a community called Nakonsi Tamarat. It's about the size of Bloomington Normal. And if, if I'll bet you nobody has been there to Nakonsi Tamarat. It is off the beaten track. It's, it's on the ocean. It's a fishing village. Um, you would have no reason in the whole wide world uh, to go to Nakonsi Tamarat. But that's where we were serving as missionaries for the next couple of years. 
And the thing about Nikon Sitamarat is uh, nobody goes there. Um, every now and then Peace Corps volunteers will stop through uh, or you'll see a missionary from time to time. Uh, but pretty much everyone uh, looks Thai, right? And so we stuck out like a thumb and everywhere uh, we would go around Nikon Sitamarat on our motorcycle, um, to the market, um, just anywhere in the community, um, we were um, just really obviously not fitting in. Um, and most of those people really had never had any conversation or communication uh, with people from the West before. And it was very clear um, because they were very uncomfortable with us and uh, they would look at us and uh, they would say to us, Farang, which Farang in the Thai language means foreigner, as you know, as if Okay, and so, you know, you just kind of get used to this kind of almost cat calling wherever we would go. They would point at you, farang, farang. And, and it was just, you felt kind of like you were a monkey in the zoo. I mean, to just be really honest about it. It was, we did not fit. And, you know, we had a couple moments where um, this kind of got old after a while. And um, people would come up to us and they'd go, farang, farang. And either Cindy or I, usually me, would look back at them and say, kontai, kontai, meaning you are a Thai person. You've just identified me, you know, and so we just felt, just needed to give it back to them. <laughs> But we did not fit. We did not belong at all in Nikon Sitamarat at every level. Um, but that's where God put us for a couple of years. And so I don't know if you've ever been up to a place where you did not fit, where you did not belong, um, but it can be a very uh, uncomfortable feeling. It can be a very difficult uh, experience. And, and I even think um, that we can sometimes even feel like we don't fit in places that are familiar. Some of us have felt like we don't fit even in our own home. Anybody ever felt like you walked into the door, everything looked familiar. In fact, you probably even had the deed to the house. You walk in the door and you're like, yeah, I don't really fit in this place. There's something about this. So even in our surroundings, we sometimes feel like, I just feel like I don't fit in this place. And can you imagine God who created the world, who created everything into existence, everything that we see, God created uh, all the land, all the people, all the animals, everything. God created you and me to be in relationship with one another. And humankind looked at God and said, you know what, we got it, we don't need you. And so humankind said to God, God, you don't fit in the picture here. We just want to do our own thing. And this is the story of the Old Testament over and over and over. God's people looking at God, their creator, God coming and looking at the earth and, 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 and people saying, we don't need you, God. We don't need you. Stay away. And if you're here on Christmas Eve uh, last Tuesday, you heard me say this over and over and over. God looked at God's people and said, ready or not, believe it or not, here I come. God said, I'm not having it. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in me. It does not matter if you don't want me. I am still coming to dwell among you. And of course, that's the story of Jesus coming into the world. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Matthew 2 is where we're picking up uh, the story this morning. But let us pray. 
God, we thank you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, this story that we're about to unpack this morning. And that God, as we wrestle through this story, it's, it's, it just r- reminds us that you can empathize fully with us, especially in those moments when we don't feel like we fit, we don't feel like we belong, when we feel like we're on the outs. And so God, I want to invite your Holy Spirit to dwell among us, to continue to move and speak and encourage and challenge. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I didn't give you guys much time to get to Matthew 2, but we'll put it up on the screen. Uh, Matthew 2, beginning with verse 13. Matthew 2, uh, verse 13. When they, meaning the Magi, the wise men, um, or the three kings, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Now, this is a peculiar uh, part of the story because remember last week it was sleep in heavenly peace. And now it's get up. Let's go. Put on your shoes. Uh, No time. We need to go. So from the moment that Jesus arrives in the world, all of a sudden he's experiencing trauma. He's experiencing uh, drama. He's experiencing uh, displacement. He's immediately told to, let's go. You got to go. You cannot stay. No matter how comfortable, no matter how happy you are in this barn, in this this peaceful place, uh, you need to go. And I think sometimes for us, we think, you know, as as Jesus followers, when we start leaning into uh, the intention of walking with Jesus, that we've kind of arrived. Jeff said that this morning, right? Sometimes I think that we like plan these things out. We don't talk before the the Sunday morning sermon very much, Um, but that's exactly right. We we think to ourselves, ah, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm going to rest in the arms of Jesus. I've arrived and we just want to be comfortable. But that's not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is, what, is, is, is the moment he arrives, it's get up and go. It's time to move, that there's going to be disruption in your life. And I just want to remind all of us that walking with Jesus does not mean rest. It doesn't mean comfort. It doesn't mean you've arrived. Oftentimes, it actually means disruption and challenge and struggle. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. Now remember, Mary and uh, Joseph, they had already traveled 100 miles uh, up in Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem. And you would have thought the angel would have said, no, go back home. Go back to that place that's familiar to you. They've already spent all this time in an unfamiliar place. But the angel says, not only do you not get to go back home to the place that's safe, the place that you know, but now I want you to go to Egypt, several hundred miles even further south. And oh, by the way, you're going to walk through the desert. 
and you're going to get to a land of Egypt, a place that looks nothing like Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Galilee. It's completely different at every language, at every level, including language, including culture. And so the moment that Jesus comes to earth, it's go. You're going to a place that looks like nothing that you've ever been to before. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that oftentimes God, uh, as we're walking the journey of, with Christ, he sends us to different detours in our lives. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it that God, this angel, sends Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to Egypt even further away? So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Phew! And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I call my son. See, the interesting thing, what this, this story tells us is, is that they think they're running away from Herod that they're running away from, from this, this powerful man, King Herod, this evil man. And what they're really doing is they're running to the place that God had talked about long before in the prophecies. Out of Egypt, my son will come. I mean, when you think about this, this is, this is really interesting. They think they're running away. And what God is really doing is he's setting the stage for them to run to the place that he told them about long ago. They should have known that this is where God was going to take them because the prophet said, out of Egypt, my son will come. Because God had a bigger story through the life of Jesus. And I think sometimes in our own lives, we feel like we're running away. God is really taking us and moving us forward. Anybody ever felt like you're moving backwards? <laughs> But then later on in life, you look over, over your life and see those moments where you felt like you were move, actually moving backward. But, but in that moment, God was actually moving you forward. That's what's going on with Mary and Joseph. God was actually moving them into the future because God had a bigger purpose for Jesus in his life and the whole world. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you feel like you're moving backwards, God might actually be using the season of going through Egypt to move you forward. God might have a bigger plan for your life, the direction you feel like you're going. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, this is part of the Christmas story that we don't always like to read, right? This is not the, the warm, fuzzy part of the Christmas story. This is the part where Herod says, okay, I don't know where this new king is, so I'm just going to kill all the baby boys two years and younger. We're like, wow, that's pretty brutal. That is just absolutely awful, right? This is an awful story. And, and I think it's moments like this where we ask ourselves, how is it that God allows such 
horrible things to happen in the world. You know, as I talk to, to skeptics, to, to people who don't believe in Jesus, the number one thing I hear over and over and over is why does God allow so much evil, so much suffering, so many Herods uh, to reign and rule in the world? Right? It becomes a big obstacle. Why does God allow that? But I think a better question is why do we allow this? Why do we allow evil? Why do we allow hatred? Why do we allow anger? Why do we allow all that we allow to happen in the world? God, does, God wasn't the one who killed those babies, right? It was Herod. Oftentimes we take our evil, our brokenness, our sin, we impose it on God and say, God did it. God did not kill all those babies. Herod did. So I have to ask, why do we allow all this in the world? And when we use this as an excuse to deny God, when God ought to be looking at us going, why don't you do something about it? And I think God ought to deny us because we just stand there with our hands folded and we're not doing much about it. It's the world in which Jesus came. And I think it's a reminder that this is why Jesus came. He had to come into the world because we live in a broken, sinful world. That's why he came. It's because there's so much hatred and suffering and evil in this world, weeping in great mourning. That's the context for Jesus showing up and coming to earth. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Well, good news here, right? Problems over, Herod's dead. This is really good news, right? So they can come back. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So he just moves from Herod to Archelaus. Just one bad king after another. Things don't really get any better for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. So they got to keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And this is why we retell the story year after year of Christmas. Because one person's on the throne and the world continues to fall apart. As long as human beings are on this planet, things are in chaos. We can't look to our kings, we can't look to our leaders to be the Messiah, right? And this is what God's people did over and over and over, is they looked to their leaders is to provide some kind of uh, uh, refuge, uh, some kind of relief, some kind of rescue. And over and over and over, what we just see is one bad leader after the next, after another. And as Christ followers, we're invited to really put all the human earthly leaders on the side and, and follow the only one who can never disappoint. And I think about Mary and Joseph in this story. 
And this must have been pretty perplexing to them because they're thinking to themselves, okay, the king, the Messiah, remember this, the angel came to both Mary and Joseph and said, you are going to have a child. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the king. He's going to rescue God's people for all time. And so they're not really sure what happens, but sure enough, this baby shows up. And as soon as the baby shows up, their lives are upended. And an angel says, now you need to go and run. And I don't know if, if Mary and Joseph ever said it out loud or if they just thought to themselves, why in the world are we running? It seems like Herod ought to be the one who's running. Because if Jesus is truly the King of kings and Lord of lords, then he ought to just, we ought to just be able to take, take care of him and, and he'll take care of us, Right? I mean, this is such a strange, odd thing uh, that, 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 that they're running for their lives. If, if Jesus is really the king, the one who is all-powerful, then why are they running from Herod? Why are they running away? But they just do it. They just get up and they go. And they trust God in the story. See, if, I, I guess if I were to write the story or if I were to be Mary and Joseph, I would think, you know, if the king is coming, uh, why doesn't God just send him, you know, to a nice palace uh, in, in Jerusalem and we just take care of him, right? That he's in a place of peace and security and harmony. And I don't know, I, in my mind, I've got bubble wrap. Uh, you know, we just wrap baby Jesus in some bubble wrap, right? Keep him safe and protect him. But that's not the story of Jesus' life. There was no bubble wrap. It was all about uh, danger and fleeing and running and getting away. So this had to have been a very confusing story uh, or a narrative for Mary and Joseph uh, to be living this out. But I think in, as God was uh, doing all this with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, he was really preparing and training Jesus for later on when he would experience more chaos, when he would experience more suffering, when he would experience more struggle. He would, he would go to the cross, right? From the moment Jesus was born, he had about 10 seconds of sleep in heavenly peace. And then it was go, and it was chaos, and it was destruction. It was run for your life. Now run over here. Now run over there. And Jesus spent his entire life facing struggles and opposition and hardship. See, oftentimes I think that we think to ourselves, you know, once I'm in relationship with Jesus, I'm going to get comfortable, I'm going to settle, and, and we're just going to walk this life together and it's going to be all good. We think when we're in the will of God that somehow God's going to bless us and everything's just going to be easy street for us, right? But that's not the story of Jesus. Because if, if Jesus, or if, if, if that's the, the idea or the narrative or, or the thought that once we're in God's will, then everything is easy, then Jesus wouldn't have been in God's will, right? Because he was over and over and over facing hardship and struggle and challenge at every turn he went. You know, I think about like throwing a twig in the water, when you, if, you, if you throw a twig in the water and you just kind of watch that twig uh, go downstream, go downriver, it's facing no resistance. And so it just floats and floats and floats. See, the, the resistance only comes when you start pushing upstream, when you start going against the flow. And while we know that God sent Jesus into the world, the enemy... The evil one, Satan, 
did not want Jesus to come into the world. And so Jesus faced opposition after opposition after opposition. And sometimes we think in our, in, about our lives or we look at other people's lives and, and we think to ourselves, man, they just got it made. Life is so easy for them. And I just wonder, I don't know. I just wonder if they're just like that twig floating downstream, not really a threat to the enemy. I just wonder if they're just going through their life, not pushing against all that is evil in the world. Because Jesus' life was not floating down the stream, right? It was struggle. It was opposition. It was hardship. So I wonder about you this morning. And I wonder if whatever struggles, whatever battles, whatever challenges you might be facing, I wonder if Satan's doing something in your life. Not happy with you, right? Because if Satan's happy with you, he's just going to leave you alone. He'll just let you float downstream. But if you're walking with Jesus, expect some opposition. Expect some hardship. Expect some struggle. Expect some hurt. Some pain. That's what Jesus did his entire life. So I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. But I want to encourage you. God's not after you. God's not out to get you. He's for you. And that hurt and that pain and that struggle in your life might just be the enemy who doesn't want you to continue to be obedient to God's word and walking with Jesus. I think we live in a world where we just kind of float downstream, right? Satan doesn't need to, to bother with those floating downstream. Give them an easy life, right? Easy street. I don't know how it all works. I just know that this is how it worked for Jesus. And I know this is how this oftentimes works for God's people. And frankly, I'm grateful that Jesus went through all that hard stuff. Because when I'm lonely, I know that Jesus can empathize with me. When I'm sad, I know Jesus knows what it's like to be sad. When I'm in pain, uh, Jesus empathizes with my pain. He knows what it's like to go through pain. When I feel abandoned in my life, Jesus empathizes and he knew what it was like to be abandoned in his life. On the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? See, I, I'm grateful that Jesus went through all that because Jesus can empathize perfectly with whatever is going on in my life. And I just wonder about the hurts and pains and the struggles in your life. I wonder if God has given you those things or allowed those things to happen in your life so that you can empathize with others when they're going through hard times. I don't know how all this works but I know that Christ knows us deeply and intimately. And he had an incredibly difficult journey from the moment he was born until he died on the cross. And I think that's a gift for you and for me. 
to be reminded that whatever struggles, whatever battles, whatever challenges we're going through, he understands, he's been there, he gets it. And yet he continues to walk with us, to wrap his arms around us and say, I know the journey's hard, but I'm here to walk with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the struggle, for the struggle that you went through every moment of your life, God. And from an outward appearance, it looked like you were on the run over and over and over. But Lord, you just continued to walk ever closer to the cross, that place of ultimate pain and suffering. And you did it willingly. You lay down your life for us. And so, Lord, as we reflect on our own lives, and sometimes we just don't feel like we belong, that we don't fit. You know what it's like. You've been there. And so, God, thank you. Thank you for those sufferings that you endured. But, God, we pray that you would also use us in our suffering, in our struggle, to be able to empathize with others who are going through hardships. Lord, none of this pain in our lives is wasted. You've given it to us as an opportunity to speak hope, to speak life, to speak new possibilities, and to speak healing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.